I don't expect to make it very long before I start tearing up here. So uh, you guys can time me and see how long it takes. Make a game of it. <laughs> um, before I, I get into anything, I do have some things on my heart. But before I get into anything, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Um, they haven't even started the clock yet. <laughs> You guys have uh, sown into my family um, in, in just wonderfully encouraging ways. Um, so I want to say thank you for being the body of Christ for, for us in this season, that, that local tangible group that touches my family, prays for us, and gives to us, and encourages us. Man, thank you. Let's pray before I lose it. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this evening that I have with my brothers and sisters, Lord. And there's a sense of closure. But I'm just so thankful that in your kingdom, there's, there's no final parting between brothers and sisters. Lord, that the hope that we have transcends that. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just ask that... Um, as, as you put in my heart, tonight would be a final gift um, that I get to give um, to this body, that it would be meaningful and that it would be lasting um, and an encouragement that, that is for building up. Thank you, Lord, so much for this place and for these people who have meant so much to my family. And Lord, I just ask that you continue to bless them abundantly. Lord, especially in their connection to you, in, in knowing you and being known by you and in walking with you, that they would leave an, an imprint, an impact in Broken Bow that, that reverberates through generations. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this is... Tonight's probably going to be a little less structured than if you've heard me um, communicate before. And I just, this is my heart to be a little bit more informal. Um, so, I guess take that or leave it. I'm not sure to apologize for that or just roll with it. So, I guess we'll just roll with it. Um, I, don't, I don't know how many of you guys actually know, like, my background or my story. Um, but I'm going to be sharing a little bit of that tonight, just little pieces. But for starters, I, I've left a lot of places, um, mostly not of my own choosing. Um, my parents were, were missionaries in Mexico, and uh, for, for a variety of reasons, we moved around. So I've, I've lived in uh, Washington and Texas, California, Mexico, Wisconsin, um, Illinois, and now Oklahoma. So I've, not everywhere, but a few places. And I've left lots and lots of, of people behind me, um, relationships that were very value to, valuable to me, people that I don't really get to see or talk to anymore. Um, and uh, y'all are making it really hard. <laughs> Thank you for that. It's nice to know that you're leaving meaningful relationships, that they mattered, that you guys mattered. Um, but one of the things that... Uh, it's hard looking back sometimes. Um, 
you kind of, you know, see people on Facebook every once in a while. They pop up and things from, from their lives pop up. And a lot of the people that I've known and grown up with, when you look at where they're at in their lives now, um, it's frankly very discouraging. It's very discouraging. The very, very few of the people I grew up with, my friends, guys I went to Bible study with, you know, guys we did the church thing together with and the youth group thing together, very few of them are, are walking with the Lord in any sort of meaningful or visible way. Um, and it kind of makes you wonder, like, why? You know, what happened? What happened to them? What what? Because sometimes, you know, it's that event that precipitates something catastrophic in their lives um, that they just can't get, they can't figure out how to get over it. Some people, you know, you kind of figure it's that slow drifting, right? And some, for some of them that happens. Um, for some of them, they were just playing the whole time and, you know, it's just coming out now. <laughs> they don't have to pretend anymore, so they get to be what they always were inside. Um. So I wanted just to talk about that a little bit tonight. Um, what I see as the key to walking with God, right? The key to that relationship. Um, and this is the way I, I've summarized it. And I'm not going to leave it here. I'll pick it back up again. But uh, the key to the Christian life is daily faithfulness. The key to the Christian life is daily faithfulness. So that's the thing. If I had notes, that's probably all it would say. So there you go. <laughs> the key to the Christian life is daily faithfulness. Now, I'm going to pull a few stories out of my own life uh, by way of explanation here. What I mean by that. So, uh. I grew up in a Christian home, which I'm very thankful for. Um, and any of you that have ever heard the, the human wisdom that says Christianity skips a generation, that's a lie. Don't buy it. Your kids don't have to wander. That's not how it has to work, right? On one side of my family, I'm a third generation believer. On the other side, I'm a fourth generation believer, okay? So it runs back in my family and what my parents and grandparents and even great-grandparents had sowed into my family, has, it's still there. Um, and it's not done yet. And we're looking at a fifth generation, right? Okay? So be encouraged in that. You can, it is possible for your kids to follow the Lord. You know, and I know some of you probably struggle with situations that I'm totally unaware of. I'm not, not meaning to touch tender places there. But be encouraged. My, uh, probably as soon as my mother could stand it, she had me in church, right? I'm not sure how long that takes after the birthing process, but I've been in church pretty much my whole life, right? Um, and, and frankly, there's never been an extended season where I was out of a church in some form or, or another. Uh, when I was uh, four years old, it was my mother that led me to the Lord. My own mom, sitting on a couch, I think it was a Sunday, I, don't, I can't remember if it was in the morning or afternoon, I don't remember much from being four, but I remember that. And um, my mom just straight out asked me, you know, if I wanted to follow Jesus and, and made sure I understood, and I was like, yeah, 
in whatever four-year-old way I could manage, you know. Um, you know, thank God for moms and, and godly moms, man. So my walk with the Lord kind of began very early. And, and as I grew up and developed as a person, uh, my walk with the Lord kind of grew or didn't grow, depending on the stage of life, right? And, and it changed and unfolded with, with my growing up and maturing as, as, a, as an adult. Um, probably about the time I made it to kind of my preteens and teenage years, it is very interesting uh, process come out in my life and heart. Um, so when I was uh, 12 is when my parents finally left for the, the mission field. They'd raised support for six years. Six years. Um, half of my life at that point, they had been raising support. This is crazy. So I've been in lots of churches, um, <laughs> pretending to be a missionary kid before I'd ever really been there. This is pretty funny. But uh, so... Uh, uh, we were we were making that transition to to Mexico during that time, and I got this idea that I needed to to read the Bible. And I thought that'd be a good thing, so I picked it up, and I, I set out a regimen for myself. Where I had so much I read in the morning, and so much in the afternoon, so much at night. Like I was I was serious. Um, I read it, and in, you know the front of your uh, your Bible, you got the table of contents and tells you what pages they're on. So I went through there with a little pen, and every time I finished one, I cross it off. So I made sure I got them all right. Three months. I finished reading my Bible in three months um, at 12 years old. And guess what I learned? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, you saw that coming. I didn't learn a thing. I'm sure I got more familiar with some things here or there that I don't recall. But I don't really remember anything significant coming out of that at all. Let me... Let me explain why I think that's the case now. My motivation. I wanted to look good. I wanted to look like a good little Christian. I wanted to look like I had all my little boxes crossed off, right? I wanted to appear good before people, right? And a little Pharisee grown inside of me there. <laughs> or a big one at that point, you know. Uh, even later on in my teenage years, I remember things like having friends that were dealing with uh, different kinds of like sexual impurity and stuff like that. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, or even sometimes saying things like, um, I don't know why you're doing that. I don't do that. Right? And it's very, very arrogant now that I look back at that. I didn't think so at the time. I thought I was good. Right? So you can see my, my, my walk with God here, right? How well this is going. But God kept working in my heart, kept doing things, right? bringing things to pass in my life, allowing me to get into messes and realize, wait, actually, I'm just as messed up as everybody else is. I'm not any better than anybody, right? You begin to work some of those things out of my life, which I'm very thankful for. Um, here's uh, one event that was interesting. I, I had some cycles of, of depression in as a teenager, I kind of think like all teenagers struggle with depression. I don't know what that is, like haven't figured out how to deal with hormones yet or what's going on there. But they're kind of moody sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. They're kind of moody. Um, so I, I kept having this, this fight with God um, where 
I had some, some sin issues in my life that weren't being dealt with effectively, meaning I kept doing them over and over again. I kept coming back to God and saying, sorry, God, and then doing it again. Sorry, God, doing it again. Sorry, God, doing it again, right? This, this nasty cycle of, like, not getting out of this rut I'm in. Um, and uh, I, I had this argument that I had with God that was like, I thought I nailed it. I thought I'd finally figured out how to pin him down, you know, and, um, yeah. Because it's catching a theme in my life here, right? Intense humility. No. <laughs> so I thought I had God pinned down. And I, I remember having this argument distinctly with him. And I told him, see, like your problem, God, is that you actually don't know what it's like to be in my shoes. Now, I, I know, you know, the whole Jesus thing. But you don't know what it's like to be me because you've never actually messed up. Right? You don't know what it's like to fail, God. You don't know what it's like. And so I had him pinned. I had him nailed down. And, and he just let that sit. Fast forward, you know, kind of a few months out of that, kind of that ongoing argument with God. And uh, we had an event transpire where, where we thought we were going to have to, I thought my family was getting kicked out of, out of the mission field by our organization, which is a whole other series of stories. But uh, that for me was like, this is my home. These are my friends. This is where I live. Like, I, I don't want to go. And, and so another argument with God starts up, right? So I start having this argument with God where I tell him something to the effect of, um, you know what, God? This is, I don't know if I can trust you in this. I don't, I don't know that I can trust you in this. I don't know if you're going to come through. And this is the very first time I ever remember the Lord speaking to me clearly. And this is what he told me. So remember before the argument I had with God, that he didn't know what it was like to mess up, to fail? So in that moment where I'm, where I'm griping at him saying, I don't know if I can trust you, he says to me, he says, I don't fail, remember? <laughs> right? So this thing that I've been arguing with God about, all of a sudden in that moment, he kind of, I kind of say he throws it in my face, you know, in his good God sort of way, but also in the slap you upside the head, you crazy teenager sort of way, right? And he slaps me upside the head with this, and he's like, this very thing that you've been accusing me of is the very reason that you can trust me, right? Because I don't fail. I don't fail. So you can walk through this with me because I don't fail. Man. Fast forward a bit, and uh, through a series of events, I end up deciding to uh, apply to Moody Bible Institute to go to college. And uh, there's a whole interesting set of things that happened there where I lived in Mexico, and I had to come to the U.S. and get my GED, and then mailed in my application for Moody Bible Institute. I always make a joke because I came back to the United States for a month uh, and lived with my sister. I'd been in Mexico for the time, and I got my GED. I got my driver's license, and I learned how to do my own laundry. So that's when I became a man. <laughs> Thanks, big sister. Right? Um, so I, I mailed in my application for Moody Bible Institute, and, and I forgot to sign one line on one paper, and I missed the deadline. Right? It's like, ah, oh, paperwork. My introduction to manhood. Great. So the... 
it takes me forever to find out because I went back to Mexico before they ever sent back the information that said that my application was messed up. So anyway, I missed the early deadline. I get the late deadline. Um, I, I'm, able to, I'm able to reapply there. And then it takes, they kick back and they say, well, you, you didn't exactly make it in. You're on the waiting list. You know, and I applied to a total of one college because I'm a genius. So... <laughs> So we get that, and they, they basically tell me, and we're going to send you letters and let you know if you made it in or not, if you're not on the waiting list anymore. So it's like, um, I end up moving to Wisconsin to work at that time, and they start sending me these letters in you know, January, on the waiting list. And I don't remember exactly when the dates were. March, on the waiting list. April, on the waiting list. June, you're still on the waiting list. Get to the July, and they say, you're still on the waiting list, but we're not going to send you any more letters. We'll call you if you get in, right? And I'm sitting here in my time limit. I'm down to like a month before I'm supposed to go to college and my job actually runs out and I don't have anywhere to work and I'm stuck in the United States by myself, which is just like, you know, was at the time harrowing. It was scary as all get out. So here I am having more arguments with God, right? A genius that I am. So... You know, I remember uh, I lived in the woods at the time at a camp, and I remember walking through the forest and just yelling at him, <laughs> just yelling, like, I, I don't know how you're going to get me through this thing. Like, what? I thought you wanted me to go here, and here I am, you know, this many months in, and I still don't know, and I, is this going to work out? Is, is this, is this going to happen? Like, what's up? What are you doing? Are you sleeping at the wheel? And I remember talking to my dad. Thank God for godly dads. And I remember talking to my dad because I, I had this idea in my head that I just needed to withdraw my application, get a job for the year, and reapply. So there was none of this guessing game. And I remember talking to my dad, and he said, uh, Son, do not close any door that God has not yet shut. Don't close any door that God himself has not yet shut. There was a crack, and it was small, but it wasn't closed. And thankfully, I took my dad's advice, and I said, okay. You're, okay, Dad. Yes, sir. So that month goes by, right? And it's, it's getting time. Two weeks before school was supposed to start, I think it was. For some reason, I call Moody Bible Institute, ask him some crazy question. I don't remember what it was about. But I called him to ask a question. As I'm talking to this lady on the phone, she says, so when you get here, and I said, but I haven't been accepted. She says, oh, they didn't tell you? <laughs> like, uh-oh, what? So now all of a sudden I'm in, but I have two weeks to go to get there and get ready, right? Um, anyway, the Lord gets me into school. I get to go. So I show up at Moody Bible Institute. And uh, anyway, shortly in there, I'm supposed to go do my uh, my payment plan. I have a payment plan. It's uh, five months, about five grand, so $1,000 a month is a payment plan. So you're looking at four years, roughly 40 grand for room and board, something in that ballpark, about $1,000 a month for 10 months of the year. Um, so in the bank, I had $1,000 to make my very first payment, right? And so I, I go up to, I talk to the uh, financial officer guy, and I have this $1,000, I'm ready to make my payment. And I go up to him and, and explain who I am, and he looks it up on his system, and he says to me, um, 
so you owe me $2,000. What? Two, wait, I, one. It's the first month, one. And I started talking to him a little bit about it, and he says, actually, the payment plan started a month ago, but you didn't know that because you weren't enrolled yet. <laughs> so you actually owe for two months already. I was like, oh, okay, Lord, you got me here. Now how are you going to get me out of this mess? So I tell the guy, this is all the money I have. I gave him everything I had, all of my money. I give it to this guy, and he looks at me, and he says, okay. I don't, I don't know if he's used to dealing with that kind of stuff or what happens there, but he let me slide. And, and I started college $1,000 in the hole uh, with no hope of any other financial income. And I remember going up to my room and crying my eyeballs out. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing, God? What is this? And uh, there's a couple things that happened that I'll never forget. Uh, one is uh, my the, uh, Moody Bible Institute, the, the building I was in has 18 floors. And I was on Colby 11 is what they call it. So the 11th floor, and so I had a bunch of floor mates. There were like 30 of us, roughly. And uh, so I'm sitting in my dorm, and a bunch of my buddies are going over to the gym to, to play ball. They have a really nice gymnasium. And, uh, but I didn't have an extra pair of shoes that I could wear in the gym because you couldn't wear the shoes you walked over in. And I didn't have a pair of shoes that I could wear. So I remember, so I'm praying, and guess what I'm doing? Complaining. Telling God, God, I don't even have enough money to buy shoes to go play in the free gym. Right? And I have this argument with God. And while I'm talking to God about this, talking, complaining to God about this, I hear this guy walking down the hall shouting, does anybody need basketball shoes? So I go out the door, and I look, and I'm like, right here, bring them in, right? And they, they fit me. I think they were a size too big, but I wore those shoes like they fit uh, the years that I was there, man. And it's funny, because I had this, this moment of God, like, saying to me through these basketball shoes, I got this. I don't have to worry about this. And, and they had that moment of, like, this, this, little, this little inkling of trust gets birthed in my heart even though there's still thousands of dollars hanging over my head, right? This, the shoes. And then there was another, another event that happened that uh, my friends were going to go to a movie. It was 310 to Yuma. So that's, it's been several years since that came out. It was in the movie theater. And uh, they were going, and they were trying to get me to go, and, and I talked. I was, they were inviting me, and I'm like, I don't have money. I don't have money. One of, my guys, one of my friends says, I'll pay for you. And I said, okay. But it just didn't sit right. It's like, I know this guy is probably as broke as I am, and he's going to pay for me. So I'm just having this internal struggle. And I remember arguing with God, telling him things like, um, or asking him, I know this is a movie. This actually isn't important. Do you care about stuff like this too? Like, do you care about me going to have fun with my friends? So anyway, I end up going, and we're waiting in line. And as we're going in line, I have this whole inner turmoil, like this narrative going in. And at this point, I have a credit card now but no money to pay it off. And I have this, ah, maybe I should, I'm just going to put it on my card. I'm just going to put it on my card and whatever happens, I can't let my friend pay for this. So I've made up my mind. I'm going to pay for this movie. My friend's not going to do it. We get up and we are about to go into the ticket and the person in front of us stops, turns around, and it says, I have these two tickets for this movie and I'll sell it to you for the price of one. 
because I, I need, want to get into this other movie, and these tickets don't let me in. And we walked up to the cashier, and we checked it. And this, the cashier says, yeah, yeah, that'll work. This is totally legitimate. Like, so if you buy this from them, um, then you guys can both get in here for the price of one ticket. So my friend pays for the movie, and I get in free. <laughs> I don't think God cares much for 310 to Yuma, but he got me in, <laughs> right? <laughs> So the movie's over, right? And part of me's just like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, God's taking care of me. And uh, we were going back on the bus, which was free. I had a pass for that. And my friends are like, we're going to buy pizza. And I'm like, I'm not pushing my luck, guys. (laughs) I'm getting off. So I get off, and I'm going back up to my room, and I'm walking through the plaza. I'm walking by. I turn over. There's this guy with a pizza box. He looks at me. He opens the box and says, you want one? <laughs> right, I get pizza too. Um, anyway, it, long story short, God has done these things in my life and started training me to trust Him. Right, started training me to walk with Him through these these times of uncertainty. Um, and you know, forty thousand dollars later, uh, I walked out with a wife, and we walked out with savings, debt free. You know, it was it's crazy, and that. There's a lot of things that happen for that to go, but it was God. It was God. Um, I, I have more stories I'd like to share, but I think I want to drive this home. So I said that the key to the Christian life is daily faithfulness. What I did not say was whose. Because from my story, I want it to be very clear it was not my faithfulness. This is my father's faithfulness. His daily faithfulness is what gets us through. It's his grace to us. It's not my impressiveness. It's not my trying. It's not my striving or fighting. Right? No, it's his putting up with me. And in the midst of my oftentimes unfaithfulness, He stays faithful because it's his heart. Man, there's a a verse that states this outright in 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's kind of a little song here he has in here. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm just going to read it real quick. It says this, uh, starting at verse 11. This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Thank you, Father. Thank you for a good father. Now, we do have a part to play in the story, right? We do have a part to play. And I want to use the lives of Abraham and Jacob as a way of thinking through that. So I hope you guys are familiar because I'm just going to kind of skim a few events of their life and contrast them. The main Bible verses that I want to want you guys to see, uh, the first one's in Genesis 25 or 7. If you've ever heard a sermon on this, I will be impressed. Um, Genesis chapter 25 verse 7, if I can find it, talks about Abraham dying. And it says this, 
These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Now, his grandson Jacob, check out how he describes his life in Genesis 47, verse 9. This is where he shows up to uh, hang out with Pharaoh for a minute after the whole crazy story with Joseph and them getting rescued. Um, Pharaoh asks him how old he is, which I guess is okay to do if you're a Pharaoh. So it says, And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojournings. Did you guys catch the difference between how how their lives are described? Abraham for him and Jacob, how he describes his own. Abraham is is described as dying at a good old age. And Jacob describes himself as having few days, but evil. Now, here's an interesting piece that if you study out the text, you'll learn. Both of these guys were the beneficiaries of God's, the greatest promises that God had ever given anyone in the world. Both of them stood underneath the Abrahamic covenant by which God said, right, I will bless you and I will multiply you and I will make you a great nation and you're going to inherit this land and through you, every nation, every family of the entire world will be blessed, right? Both Abraham and Jacob had that by promise. God's faithfulness in their lives. So what made the difference? Why is one good and old, and the other one few and evil. Now, if you look at Abraham's life, you'll find this. Over and over again in situations he's faced with, not consistently, but over and over again in situations he's uh, faced with, he responds in trust to God's faithfulness. So uh, one example, it's a crazy example, it's a battle battle of the... um, the five kings, it's labeled in some, his, his lot, his nephew gets stolen uh, with, with a bunch of the people of Sodom, and he goes after him, and then that weird guy Melchizedek shows up, which is a whole sermon in and of itself. But then at the end, Sodom says to, the king of Sodom says to Abraham, he says, I'm, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of stuff. You, you take all my stuff and just give us the people. And Abraham looks the king in the face when he's offered him all his gold, and Abraham says to him, I'm not touching it. I swore to God above I wouldn't take a single penny from you because I don't want it ever to be said that the king of Sodom made me rich. He was trusting God to make him rich, right? God to make him rich. And then you have other events in his life where he doesn't do so well, right? Hagar, and you got that whole story. You got him lying to Abimelech about his, you know, my sister, but she's actually my wife, but I want you to know that because I want you to kill me because she's, she's smoking. Um, Right? And it's actually interesting because if you read the Psalms on that story, it, it actually, the whole point of that story is that God is faithful to Abraham. Right? God, he rebuked kings on their account is the way it's recorded in the Psalms. Um, but with guys like uh, when God tells them your descendants will be as many as the stars in the heaven, and Abraham looks up and says, okay, sure. 
And, it's, and it says it was counted to him as righteousness. God is like, that's faith, right? Or when the son of the promise has to get sacrificed, he takes him up on, on, on the mountain, he's going to kill him. God tells him to kill the son of the promise. And Abraham's like, okay, God said it. This is the son of the promise, so he has to live. So if I kill him, God's got to bring him back from the dead. That's the only logical conclusion I have. So here goes nothing, right? And God stops him and make, makes provision. And again, it's declared to him as righteousness for trusting God. Right? God is faithful to his promise, and Abraham responds by trusting him in it. Now, watch Jacob. So, before Jacob is born, it is prophesied to his very depressed mother because she's got two twins that are just making a big old ruckus in her womb, and she's sick of being pregnant. Right? <laughs> she's done with it about now. Um, she, uh, they get this prophecy spoken that says that the one will be greater than the other. The older will serve the younger. So Jacob walks into the world with the blessing of God in his hand. It prophesied before he was even born that he would be first. And watch what he does, right? He comes out of the womb fighting, right? And then you go on and you have the whole story of, uh, about uh, um, Esau's, Esau's birthright. And uh, he tricks his brother, and basically in a weak moment, he gets his brother to sell him his birthright, making sworn enemies with his brother, right? And then when it time, comes time for his father Isaac to die, and it comes time for the blessing, him and his mother cook up a plan, and they manipulate, and they connive, right, to steal the blessing, making a doubly sworn enemy of his brother, right? Lying to his dad why he's at it. That's a nice thing to do to your passing father, you know. <laughs> Could work there. So he goes off and he has to flee for his life because Esau is angry. So he's running for his life. And uh, um, God appears to him and tells him he's going to take care of him. And Jacob says, if you bring me back, right? If you bring me back here, you know, I, I will worship you, right? And even with God, he has this like a manipulation streak going on. So he meets his uncle who it turns out is just as manipulative as he is, right? Tricks him into marrying both of his daughters instead of one. Um, but then watch what Jacob does with his business practices with his uncle. There's this weird thing where he takes all these sheep and he tries to get like the spotted ones and the blemished ones. There's no way on earth that works. Like it's a joke. But God blesses him in it anyway. And his flocks multiply exactly according to Jacob's foolish plan, right? God, God comes through for him, right? And then he has to flee from his uncle now. So he, he runs in the night from his uncle and he's got a bunch of crazy stuff going on there. And so he's caught between these two worlds. One, uh, his uncle mad at him. His other, his brother mad at him. And he's not sure where to go. And so he's coming up with these plans. He takes his family, he splits them in two pieces, sends them on ahead because he's, he's like that. He's a little cowardly, right? He hangs out in the back and he meets this stranger. And he has this moment with this stranger where he fights him and he wrestles him, right? How come? Because he's fighting for his own blessing. I'm fighting for the promise of God. I am working in my own strength to make you bless me. And you know what? The angel lets him win. The angel could have kicked his hide, but he lets him win. And then his name gets changed, right? He who struggles with God or strives with God. Israel, that's what that means. Um, and you watch his life, and this man manipulates his entire life to get the promises of God. 
And so he never enjoys rest in it because he's always fighting and striving for it. Okay. The only act of Jacob's life that is recorded as having been an act of faith comes at the very end of his life. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, um, it talks about several things Abraham did in faith. And when it gets to Jacob, there's one thing that it says about him. It says, by faith, he blessed Joseph's sons. And it's a weird story to pull out of Jacob's life. But it's the only one the author of Hebrews thinks is worth anything at all. Right? So he pulls that one out of his life. Here's what happens in that story. In that very story, um, uh, Jacob gets to meet with Joseph. Joseph brings him his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And, uh, and Jacob's going to bless him. When Jacob goes to bless him, he's supposed to put his right hand on the firstborn. And he has this moment where he says, he crosses his hands and gives the greater blessing. He gives the greater blessing to the, um, the younger son just like he was supposed to get. He has like this moment of wait. All that had to happen was for God to touch my dad's heart and do it the way that according to God's word. That's all that had to happen. I didn't have to fight for this. And then you watch what he says to, uh, to Joseph, and it's very interesting. He talks about God, and he says, God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life. He is the first person in scripture to ever speak of God as a shepherd. And this one moment at the end of his life, he finally acknowledges it was not my own work. It was not my own striving that brought about the promises of God. God was with me as a shepherd caring for me my whole life. And to me, that's what made the difference. One responded to God's faithfulness and promises with trust and was able to rest and enjoy and be. The other responded to God's faithfulness and promises with manipulation and conniving and plotting and working and trying. And he does not get to rest in the promises of God. They both had him. So we're getting ready to move. And uh, I'd like to tell you, like, I've got this figured out. You know, every time I make a transition now, I just, like, by faith, I'm moving through this thing and all the mountains, you know, be cast into the sea, right? You just get out of the way, I'm coming through. But I still, every day, I have these struggles that rise up in my heart of, it's just going to work out. New issue pops up, and I have this moment of, ah, ah, is this the right way? Is this the right thing? Are you sure? I thought you told me this. Ah. Right? And I have all these, these moments of struggle. And I have to stop and choose. Am I going to relate to God's faithfulness by trusting him today and resting? Or am I going to try to figure it out myself? Am I going to try to sort it out myself? Right? Strive for it. Um. So that's what I want to leave you guys with uh, in terms of your own personal walks. That's a choice we, each of us has to make every single day. Whatever comes my way, God's faithful. How am I going to relate to him? Right? Am I going to trust him today?
am I going to rest in his faithfulness today that he can get me through this thing? The last thing on my heart tonight was just a little bit for Victory Life Church as a whole. I've uh, been with you guys four years now. Uh, my, my wife and I have, and my kids not as long because we got them while we were here. Um, all three of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mary's doing all the hard work, so. <laughs> um, over the last four years, and, and I got to begin to know you guys uh, even before that, uh, quite a few years ago when we first moved down, like eight years ago, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, and I've got to watch kind of the, the, the seasons of the church change. Because um, the season that the church is in today is not the same season it was the, when we came. The season has changed. And it is in my heart that the season is shifting again. Um, and not just, because, not just because of my family. There are a number of things um, that, that they just, they just have that sense that the season for Victory Life Broken Bow is shifting. Um, it's changing. And as a whole, we have the choice to make. Are we going to trust him in these changes and in these shifts? Are we going to trust his blessing and his promises? Right? Because we had this whole season as a church where the church at large, um, Victory Life, worked very hard on our systems. And those of you that were involved in the systems, I'm sure you felt it. Because um, they, they came on strong and heavy and intense, right? And there was a lot of it, a lot of new verbiage, a lot, a lot of new lingo, a lot of new learning, learning the, uh, the hoops, right? And all, all the, the, the way everything was supposed to be structured, um, And I have this feeling that somewhere in there, there are those of us, and I count myself among them, who have struggled with that because there's been this push for doing and a loss of just being, of just being together, of just enjoying time with each other. There's been so much do, 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 do. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to cross this box. You got to cross that box. Because we have to have all these systems in order um, for this, this church thing to work. That we've been trying to make the church work. And sometimes we've missed a little bit on being the church. Right? On just walking out that time with each other. On being plugged into each other's lives. Um, in I know I'm not the only one. Sometimes it's just so busy. This thing, that thing, I got to get here. I got to get there. I got to get this done. This has to be executed. This task needs to be finished. And there's not that time just to, just to be. Um, and I, I know that there are already things, there are things moving. And I'll leave that to Pastor um, because it's his place. But uh, I just encourage you guys, in this season that's coming, what does it look like in your life and as Victory Life Church, to aim more towards relationships and those genuine, encouraging relationships and, and away from all of the doing, right? Because our mission as a church is to build healthy churches that are growing people in Christ. And the only way that we build healthy churches are by being healthy followers of Jesus, right? And that takes time and space 
and eating meals and laughing, cracking jokes, just having time together, right? That's healthy. Um, so I just want to encourage you guys in that. And I feel a little bit of like the Abraham Jacob because this church is blessed. God has blessed this church. Are we going to strive for the blessing or are we going to rest in it? Man, thank you for trusting me, Pastor. I know I went out on a little bit of a limb there, but uh, that's what I have. So thank you guys. That's good. That's a good word. Mary, you come on up here with us, okay? You guys can sit back down. I'm going to talk for just a minute. I'm not going to keep us too long. Let Mary get up here. I love these guys. About four years ago, they came to us. And uh, at that time, we were just what they needed. And then within just a couple of weeks, we realized, I'm sorry, I'm pulling your hair. (laughs) We realized that they were just what we needed. Amen. And uh, we're going to pray for them tonight, but I just want you guys to know we appreciate y'all. You served in the children's church, and that's an awesome honor. It's just, uh, she's been faithful. This guy led our worship and praise. Did an awesome job. And I just know that we're going to enter into that rest. That's, I, I'm striving to work, working to enter that rest and, instead of let's get all this stuff done. Let's be the church that loves each other. Amen. Now, they're going to be moving to Arkansas. They, they have two children now and one on the way. Congratulations. <laughs> They've been a good part of us. And they're always going to be a part of us in our heart. And, and when they come back through this way, they can come in anytime and share with us. And, and we'll be connected. We're going to continue to pray for them. They'll continue to pray for us. God has great things in store. And I'm not going to prophesy over them, but God has great things in store. This was a stepping stone to get them through to where they were going. When they came here, they stayed committed to the ministry that they came from. And they fulfilled every commitment that they had made a promise to do. That is awesome. They never left the ministry mad and, and you know, I'm going to run this place down. They came to me blessing the place they came from. And I know when they leave here, they're going to leave here blessing the place they left. And I'm going to bless the place they're going to. I bless them. I want, hey, Tommy, I want you to come up here. Is Billy in here? Billy, I think, is with the nursery tonight. Get, get Billy to come. He's one of our elders also. Lynn, Michelle, Deb, you want to come up? We want to lay hands on them and pray. And I want to encourage every one of you here. You know, many of us have been in other ministries, and we've left ministries. Some of us have left mad before. Because we, we didn't know how to leave, and we, we felt like, ah, the preacher's going to be mad at us when we leave. I'm not mad at you, <laughs> and I'm not mad at you. 
I'm going to miss both of y'all and your family, but we're going to love these kids. Sorry if I call you kids. He went to college, and I didn't. <laughs> and she did, too. But the good thing is we all have the mind of Christ. Now, I brought the elders and, and other pastors in. We would get Pastor Matt, but he's back there with the youth, and we're not about to leave them out back there by themselves. <laughs> we're smarter than that. I want you all to just stretch your hands forth, and I want to pray over them right now. Praise God. Father, I just thank you and I praise you for this couple and their family. Father, I thank you that we bless them. They've been a blessing to us and we're going to bless them right now and speak grace over their life that wherever they go, whatever they put their hand to will be blessed. Father, I thank you that we send them out as good seed to be sown on good ground. We look forward to the harvest that will come. Father, many will be brought into the kingdom of God because of this couple right here and the stand of faith that they take and they make right now by stepping out in faith, believing that you are calling them to do what they're going to do. And it's by your grace that they are who they are, that they're able to be who they're going to become and who they already are by faith. He, he said that he, by faith, stepped out when he was a kid and acted like a missionary's son. And, and I saw that, and I thought, you know what? It's the same way Abraham believed that he was the father of many nations way before he ever had a son. And whatever God's called us each to be, Father, I pray that you would bring them to fruition, and everything that they put their hand to would prosper. Let them be a blessing to where they're going right now. It may not be the end of the road, Father. It's just another step. I don't know. Uh, the outcome in the next hundred years, Father, but you do. I know one thing, that wherever they go, they will be a blessing. And the place will be blessed because of them. We've been blessed because of them. And we thank you and give you praise for them. We glorify your name. We love you, Father, for all that you've done and all that you will do in this family. The blessings of Abraham upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. We love y'all.